Today we're looking at Matthew 21, and it's Jesus interacting with the religious leaders. And so let's read it and get into it. Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I, will, I also will tell you what, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? They discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. It's a gift, Lord. It's grace. And it's a grace that you have given any of us understanding of it. It's grace. We ask you to help us, Lord. Not only to understand what it says, but to embrace it as truth. And to embrace you, Jesus, as the truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It says here in the beginning in verse 23 that Jesus was in the temple and that he was teaching. Luke gives a, a bit more detail here in Luke 20, verse 1. It says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up to him. Now, this happened on Tuesday of Passion Week, the week that Jesus is arrested and crucified. It's literally Jesus' last days. He will be arrested late Thursday night, crucified on Friday this is Tuesday. So let's think about this for a moment. Quite honestly, we have several verses to cover this morning, but we could literally spend the entirety of our time on this one verse because of what Jesus is doing. These are his last few days. And what is he doing? teaching the people, preaching the gospel. So let's begin our time in the Word thinking this way. Are we willing to live like Jesus in this? To the very end, preaching the gospel. This is certainly 
how Paul lived his life. We see in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul committed to preaching the gospel, no matter what may come. Christ here, continuing to preach the gospel until his death. He knew what was coming, so he continued to preach the gospel. It's not he knew what was coming, but he still continued to preach the gospel. It's not but. He knew what was coming, so he continued to preach the gospel. And the truth is, we might be tempted to say, well, Jesus was God. And so he knew what was coming next. But think about this for a minute. That makes this more amazing. Jesus actually knew that he wouldn't just die. He was going to be raised from the dead. He's already told the disciples this. He would be raised from the dead and then spend 40 days on earth before he ascended into heaven teaching the people. So he could have said, I'll have plenty of time to preach the gospel after I rise from the dead and they'll be more likely to believe a guy who was dead and was raised from the dead. So I'm going to take these last days before they torture me and hang me on the cross for sins I've never committed. I'm going to take these last few days off, spending them with my friends. So he took this time to preach the gospel. Why? Because it really is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And the truth is for us, we know what is coming for us too. Rest is coming. Life everlasting is coming. So we can spend ourselves for God's glory here and now to our dying day. As the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him while he was teaching, while he was preaching the gospel. This is still happening today. Christ's enemies trying to interrupt, to thwart the preaching of the gospel, but we're speaking right now of this 2,000 years later. The gospel continues forward. 
Christ is victorious. The gospel is still being proclaimed. chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now these leaders that come up to him represent the Sanhedrin. And they're coming and asking for his credentials. What right do you have to be saying these things? What right do you have to be doing these things? Who gave you authority to do and say what you're saying and doing? Instead of asking themselves, is he right? Is what he's saying true? They come and ask him, who gave you the right? And what things are they speaking of? They're likely referring to the cleansing of the temple mostly. Certainly, they're concerned with much of Jesus' teaching, but this has likely set them off and caused them to send this delegation. And they're trying to embarrass Jesus or catch him in front of this great crowd. He certainly had not given him authority to say these things as the religious leaders. So where did it come from? And if they can discredit him, then the crowds will dwindle away from him, and they will regain the attention they desperately desire. But they don't get the answer that they hope for. Verse 24, instead of just answering their question, Jesus responds, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? Now, how do most people respond when they are verbally attacked? Get defensive. And then maybe they get on the offense. They become... A person who's denying charges making claims against the other person. But how ought we to respond? How did Jesus respond here? We don't need to defend ourselves. God is just, and He's good. He's able to defend if needed. The truth is, I want to live my life in a way that speaks for Christ's character, not my own. I'm not speaking up for my own character, but for Christ's. And yet so often, I don't, and therefore I feel threatened and I want to defend myself. We ought to be more concerned with defending Christ's honor than our own. You think of Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, that says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. It is the Lamb who is worthy in this text. It's the Lamb that is worthy today. He and He alone is worthy 
Jesus is purposeful in his response to them. While John was baptizing, he had proclaimed that Jesus was greater than him. And then soon after the baptism of Jesus, John had proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus asks this, he's putting the religious leaders in a very difficult position because if they say that John's baptism was from heaven, then they're affirming that Jesus has been given authority by God because that's what John's testimony said. And so they're stuck. You can see in the text, they're squirming. They discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Sadly, these religious leaders aren't concerned with truth at all. They just want to look good in front of the people and they want to get rid of Jesus. They aren't concerned with the truth. They're concerned with what will happen if we say this. The reality was that they had not accepted John's baptism. But they couldn't be truthful about that and say that it was from men because the people would rise up against them, probably stone them. Again, if they say from heaven just to appease the people, then they're affirming Jesus is coming from God and therefore affirming his words which identified him as the Messiah. So this is really messy and sticky for these religious leaders. We ought to ask ourselves here, how would we respond in a circumstance like this? It's not the same, but what if you were asked a question about Christ and the answer would mean denying him or a mob of people stoning you or putting you to death in another way? What would you say? Would you speak the truth? I'm asking myself that just as I ask you. Do I speak it now when my life is not on the line? The circumstances are different for these men. These religious leaders are against Christ. They're against him. Sadly, they fear the people instead of the one who has authority to cast both body and soul into hell. This is decisive ignorance on on the part of the religious leaders. They refuse to know or believe. They will not receive Christ. They didn't believe him. They're blind. He's hidden from their eyes. And notice here that they don't answer him by saying, we don't want to answer that question. That would at least be honest. They're not even honest in their manipulation and dishonesty. Rather, they say, we don't know. But Jesus knows, verse 27. They answer, we do not know. 
And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus doesn't play their games. His response, neither will I tell you, is calling them out. You won't tell me, not not that you don't know, but that you refuse. You refuse to tell me, so I won't tell you. Here's what we can learn from Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't owe us answers. He doesn't have to answer our questions. He doesn't have to. He's not required to. But the glorious truth of the fact that you have a Bible is that he does graciously answer the questions of those who are seeking after him. He does. He will. Those who come to him with hearts open and desiring to know him and follow him, he answers. He responds. At this point that Jesus tells a parable, there's a purposeful story here about the religious leaders, verses 28 through 31. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not, but after he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And Jesus tells this parable of two sons. He does this asking the religious leaders the question. This father asks two sons to go into the vineyard and work. The first son tells his father that he will not go. He refuses to go. But then he changes his mind and goes and works in the field. The second son tells his father that he will go. I go, sir. It sounds extremely obedient. But then he didn't go. Now, the parable is not difficult to understand on its own, but Jesus gives a very clear explanation to be sure. The son who refuses to obey and then changes his mind represents all who reject God but then later believe. The son who offers to serve but fails to do so symbolizes Israel's religious leaders. The religious leaders seemed willing to serve. We've seen that as we've worked our way through this gospel account. They were like the fig tree, having leaves but no fruit. They seemed willing to serve, but when Jesus came, they refused him, breaking their promise to serve God. And Jesus is here exposing their hypocrisy. Look at what he says at the end of verse 31. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. It's an incredible statement. 
I wonder if we really feel the weight that the people would have felt when Jesus spoke that. He said that to the religious leaders. He said that to the scribes and the Pharisees. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That's offensive. That hurts feelings. That infuriates. Tax collectors got rich by betraying their own people. Prostitutes lived in perpetual sin. And yet Jesus says these outcasts repent, believe, and enter God's kingdom. The religious leaders didn't. What a hard thing for these religious leaders to hear. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you, ahead of you. Jesus continues and refers to John the Baptist again in verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. This confirms that the religious leaders are not the son who changed his mind and believed and entered the kingdom. They're the second Son. And Jesus uses John the Baptist here as an example of their reaction to him. John had come in the way of righteousness. John came according to God's will, fulfilling the promises, the prophecies spoken of the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And he came proclaiming the righteous demands of God. But these religious leaders rejected him. Only the sinners that had turned to John. The leaders rejected him in the same way that they rejected Jesus. And Jesus says, you did not believe him. And therefore, you didn't believe God. And even when they saw the tax collectors and prostitutes turning to God through John's message and receiving salvation from God, they would not believe. Jesus says, you didn't change your minds and believe him. They should have. If there is one thing that we know from this text and all of Jesus' interactions with people, one thing we can be absolutely certain of, he would have welcomed them. If the religious leaders had believed and come to him, he would not have turned them away. He would have welcomed them. They didn't believe. The question that the religious leaders come and ask, who gave you this authority, who gives you this authority? It comes from unbelief. It comes from a rejection of Jesus. It, it comes from a, a, a denial of who he is, of what God has said. The most important question we will ever answer is, do we believe and trust in Jesus? These men didn't, in spite of all of the things they had seen, all of the teaching, all of the miracles, 
all of the examples of Jesus saving sinners. Do we believe his word? Do we believe what he has spoken? I think of the believers in the church in Berea in Acts 17 verses 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. There's a beautiful, beautiful picture. They didn't didn't just take their word for it. They looked at the word of God to see if these things were true. Because they trusted God. They trusted his word. And so let me ask you this morning, are you coming to Jesus, surrendered to him, and submitting to his word? Only Christ can satisfy a sinful heart. Only Christ can save. He spent his last days making that known. And it has filled the earth with knowledge of him ever since and forever will. The tax collectors and the prostitutes were able to enter the kingdom because the true son obeyed the true father by laying down his life for the sake of sinners like you and like me and like prostitutes and like tax collectors. All who would believe. I want to invite you today to submit to the true son Truly submit to him. To lay aside your agenda and pick up your cross to follow Christ. That's what he calls us to do. He went to the cross for your sins and simply says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For those here who are believers... As we go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, let's think about the Son who obeyed the Father. Think about Christ who did what the Father asked of Him on our behalf. Let's set our minds on Christ. The greatest truth we can know and embrace is the truth that Christ died on behalf of sinners. And that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus proclaimed the gospel until his death. And we are given many ways 
But this is one of them to proclaim his death until he comes again. What a joy. What a joy that we can take a piece of bread and drink juice, remembering what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, that he welcomes us no matter what we have done, no matter how bad our lives have been, that he welcomes us through Christ with grace and mercy because of his accomplishment on the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good. And Lord, our focus, we don't want our focus to be on these religious leaders who denied you, Lord. We don't even want our focus to be on the prostitutes and the tax collectors that you welcomed into the kingdom. Lord, our desire is that our heart and our focus would be you. The true son who obeyed the father, who obeyed the father fully, who never sinned, you're not deserving in any way of torture or death. You only deserve worship. And yet you willingly laid down your life. You suffered and you died on our behalf. You lived for us what we could never do. Jesus, you lived a perfect life on our behalf. You died a horrible death on our behalf so that if we would believe that you would forgive. Help us now to believe. As we come and we receive the bread and the cup and we hold it, contemplate, as we sing, as we wait to take it together, Lord, help us to believe. We pray in Christ's name.